Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Rondon. And in this week's episode, uh, because we're still going through several of the first round playoff games, we're kind of going to take a diversion from some of the first round playoff games and more talk about other sports, talk about the NFL, some news, talk about some of the news in the MLB, just you know, I think we want to give a little pause on some of the first round playoff games that are going on right now, but I think there is enough otherwise going on that we should be able to talk about that. Yeah, sounds good. Once again, this is the Sports Break Podcast where, you know, it's not your expert opinion. You know, we're not going to call Julio Jones and live on the uh, on the podcast or anything like that, but just more of a casual conversation. I thousand percent was going to make about that first joke. Like, no, we're not just going to call our NFL friends on on speed dial. No, we're just... We talk about the news and that's it. Uh, speaking of which, uh, as the resident Patriots fan in the house, I know you must have some opinions on the Julio Jones trade case and where he's going to land. Uh, I think, you know, as we talked about in the offseason, I think Julio Jones needs to be that number one wide receiver that New England's kind of needed for a couple of seasons now. I mean, depending on his value, I think that would make too much sense. Yeah, um, this is obviously something I've gotten a lot behind because he's obviously a fantastic player. And, you know, unlike running backs and tight ends at some cases, especially Gronk is the biggest example, wide receivers tend to pan out well beyond their prime. Um, Typically, I was looking at it, they're pretty good. Usually until about 34, 35 when they start to fall off. So that means you can still get probably two or three good more years out of Julio Jones, as long as he stays healthy, obviously the big thing is he has to stay healthy, unlike last season. So, I mean, if they're able to do that and he's able to, you know, it's a good deal for the Patriots, I would absolutely be for it because this is a team that for the last few years really has felt like a bunch of twos and threes, but no actual one. And so everyone, you know, everyone who's a two is actually playing, like has to play one position and everyone who's a three has to play basically a two position because they don't really have anybody else to fill those voids. So I feel like a guy like Julio Jones creates a great chain of command where Aguilar can just focus on his vertical routes. You know, Kendrick Bourne can do his thing similar to what he did in San Francisco. Those tight ends can work on across the middle stuff. I think it'd be a really good fit with the Patriots. Now, the only thing I have seen is that, you know, I saw the reports that somebody has offered a first round pick. If I'm you don't think that's the Patriots. I don't think that's the Patriots. I don't think it is because I don't think Bill Belichick's the kind of guy he still uses. I believe he uses some iteration. It may not be the original one, but I think he uses some iteration of the um, Jimmy Johnson draft chart, basically. And Mm -hmm. I just don't see him at this position paying a guy, you know, you know, trading a 32 year old with $15 million contract for a first round pick. I don't think he sees that as a bargain for him. I think he'd do it if it's the second round pick and maybe a little bit more, but I don't think he's looking for a first. Especially if you're considering the cap hold. Um, I'll start with, I think the fact that the, the, the Julio Jones to a team like the Patriots, I think makes too much sense. You know, you're talking about the upside of either Cam or Mac Jones. If he starts playing well at the start of the season, that defense is really stacked and really, especially after getting some of the good tight ends, the one thing they really need is a good number one receiver, uh, which Julio Jones is. And he's displayed that even last year with the dysfunction in Atlanta. I think he really is that guy. Uh, but I agree with you. I don't know if his value as a first round pick even 
to some of the other teams that we're seeing rumored to. I don't know why Tennessee would trade a first round pick to a guy who may make them better, but I still think their defense is keeping them out of the playoff hunt. I got to think if you're going to trade a first round pick for Julio Jones, it's a team who thinks they're a wide receiver away from winning or at least getting to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, the interesting one in all of this would be if the Packers, if this was the Packers, although I don't believe, you know, it goes against basically everything they do too. But what if this whole Aaron Rodgers situation basically said, let's fix this situation by getting him one of the best receivers in football and basically just saying we're going for it this year. Cause this team, you know, I think it's two weaknesses were cornerback, which, you know, especially speed at the cornerback position. I actually rewatched that 2021 NFC championship game the other day and the speed at the cornerback position was necessarily the biggest thing not necessarily that Kevin King was bad because he was just burnt by speed guys um so a guy like Eric Stokas I think helps that because he is very fast and then the other thing that they were lacking is that number two guy to get consistently open and that's been something that's been a couple years now so maybe if they get a guy like Julio Jones they say hey that's the kind of team we could that's the kind of uh you know going for it move that Aaron Rodgers probably would appreciate and want to stick around for. That also goes against their kind of line of thinking historically too. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's also not them, but then at the same time, I don't really know who's offering a first round pick. Cause we've seen the teams that have been rumored, like the 49ers don't have picks to move up with the Ravens. I don't see them moving up with the first round pick unless they really feel like they can go for it. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out especially after they just wasted a first or not wasted, but used a first round pick on a wide receiver. It, I mean, okay. So I guess first off straight up value. Do you think Julio Jones is worth a first round pick? Cause I'm on the fence about that even. Um, I think he is. I think wide receivers can still be pretty valuable in the league. Um, you know, and I think if a team manages, you know, you can cut his deal in half after the June 1st deadline, basically. Um, and it makes it a pretty good deal savings wise that I think, yeah, I would, you know, if I felt like I was one receiver away from winning a Super Bowl, I would trade a first round pick. But if you're a team like the Patriots, I'm not sure if I'm ready to trade a first round pick because I don't know if that roster is Super Bowl ready. I think it's pretty good ready, but I don't think it's going to be Super Bowl ready just because they added Julio Jones. I mean, personally, I still think they're not at the level of the Bills yet, but Obviously, we'll have to see if the Bills can replicate that success. I mean, the question becomes, when does Julio Jones, not necessarily fall off the cliff, but when does Julio Jones stop being Julio Jones? Because the fear is, and I think, because he's not like Michael, like when Michael, or not, uh, when Amari Cooper was traded a couple years ago, where it was like a guy just entering his prime getting traded. Like, this is a guy who probably is on the back end of his uh, prime, if not there. So you've got to see, you got to kind of hedge your bets because there is a chance that you trade for him. He's good for maybe a year and then he starts to regress. But I mean, San Francisco would have to be something probably involving a player or involving multiple lower round picks because whether or not the first round pick is true and Personally, I have my doubts because that just sounds like the thing that Atlanta writers would like, not necessarily make up, but would like plug in order to increase the trade value. Something like similar we saw with like Carson Wentz this offseason. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's more or less not true. But 
depending on what Julio Jones is, you got to have a secure value in the, in the case that he does end up being regressing going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's a good chance that uh, what's their names Atlanta themselves are leaking this, you know, there's a good chance that they're doing it themselves because they see this as an opportunity to try and get the best value possible. So, True. well, do, do you do think like I do that he does want to leave? Like this isn't like them just trying to pray for like he is legitimately trying to get out the door. I mean, it felt pretty obvious after the, uh, the it's not first take that he's on anymore. First things first bit. Wait, what's it called? Undisputed. undisputed. Yeah. Undisputed bit. I don't watch these shows. Um, <laughs> no one should. No one should. <laughs> but you know, I, it, it felt pretty obvious since that bit. Cause it didn't really feel like it was actually a bit. It felt like Julio Jones was pretty unhappy about the situation and he had communication with the Falcons that he was ready to, you know, move on to a different opportunity. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, again, maybe it's the Cowboys fan in me, but I'm trying to think that the Cowboys part of that was a joke. But definitely there's something to when he first goes on the, the call that's like, oh, no, he doesn't, he legitimately does not know he's on the call. Like, he legitimately does not know he's on air, which, mm, I mean, if, if you're like Julio Jones, you've got to know when they're filming, right? I, I felt like he knew. I feel okay. like this stuff's all calculated. And, you know, it's one thing if it was like, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Like, there's just a couple of media well, like, guys. I mean, I don't like know if, if you saw. For the clout. Yeah. Well, it's like, I don't know if you saw when Pat McAfee did his like ESPN's trying to block people from coming on my show, but he called a friend. I don't remember who that was from ESPN and then immediately hung up like, Oh shit. I know this guy's going to get fired. If I keep him on this call. Uh, it definitely didn't have those vibes. It definitely had the vibes of like, either he's really slow or like really hard to catch up onto the what's going on or he knows what's going on. Yeah, I just feel like because I was trying to basically say like I think there's a few like ESPN like personalities who if they did that I wouldn't like necessarily be surprised if they did just for like the clout sort of thing, but like I don't see Shannon Sharp like doing that to another pro athlete. You know, as goofy as Shannon is on the show, he's still a pro athlete who understands how it is to be a pro athlete, and I don't see him going and like stabbing Julio Jones in the back. Which is kind of why I'm kind of led to believe that it probably was staged. Like, they probably understood what was going on. Well, I mean, I, I first of all, and I think to that degree, I don't think, like, Shannon, like, it would be Skip Bayless if it was the, if it was the actual, like, guy. Like, because you don't give your number to Shannon Sharp unless you two are, like, cool. Yeah. Especially if it's, like, a direct line where I assume, because I assume he has, like, a cell phone that only his agent picks up and a cell phone where like his marketing team picks up. If that is, and from the clip, I remember it's assuming it being like his direct line, then you have to have an understanding of do not call me unless you are like cool to talk. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, so that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. Cause I, I, I didn't feel like it was staged at the end of the day. Cause it felt like too, it felt too goofy to be staged. I, I don't think it'd be like Julio Jones would have come out and said like, Hey, I didn't realize I was on the phone call if it wasn't staged because yeah. I mean, why would he, why would he just let that go? Well, I think also importantly, it's like, even if it is like, like they, I don't necessarily think it's like stage staged. 
I think it was more the idea of like Shannon Sharp and him talked beforehand about doing it. But like, I don't think that loses from the conversation because the conversation itself isn't necessarily about the fact that he got him. It's the truth of the matter. But which if you listen to Julio, I do 100% think that he is talking from the heart. Yeah. Like, it's very much like when I saw the uh, Aaron Rodgers-Kenny Main interview. And, and really, Aaron Rodgers does this all the time, but I think Kenny Main was a great example of it. When Aaron Rodgers does interviews, he doesn't, like, give you that, like, media speak. He tells you what he thinks, even if it's boring or even if it's, like, not something you can easily clickbait. It's just, this is what I'm thinking. Like, no, I don't have anything else to add. Yeah. No, I agree. So... I mean, we'll see what happens with all this, but yeah, I think he'll be on the move. I think, I mean, we're all still speculating, but I think by, cause they basically have to wait for the June 1st deadline um, because of the way the contract structured. So I think we'll know by June 1st or June 2nd, where he's going to end up. If you had to guess where he would go, where do you uh, think? I don't think Tennessee's a real option. I've been here, you know, I heard the reports that Tennessee's not really, you know, it's kind of a long shot. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't like as much as I think that Tennessee makes sense from like a, oh, they lost Corey Davis. They need that true number one receiver across from AJ Brown. I think the value they may have to trade would be too much for Tennessee, especially given their run first offense. Mm -hmm. Like, I think schematically the team that makes sense is the, the most sense is San Francisco. Though I agree with you, the capital isn't there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, a team that I haven't heard necessarily, but I think the team that could make a lot of sense, uh, given they just lost Curtis Samuel, is Carolina. I know they never would, but I think Carolina from a schematic and from a philosophic, especially if you want to give Sam Darnold the best chance to succeed, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense from the aspect of, I think both teams, you know, it fills a need for both teams. That's for sure. Um, but I think the one thing you'd probably say is the issue is the division, obviously. Um, not necessarily that I think all teams decide based on division, but at the same time, I don't think you want to play Julio Jones twice a year after this. Well, I also I, think that if like if it was the same compensation, I think that Carolina or that Atlanta would easily want to trade him out of the division rather than in the division. Right. One interesting trade that I heard was um, Julio Jones for Lavisca Chanel and a second round pick. That one sounds pretty interesting. Maybe. I mean. How old is Levisca Chanel? I mean, it's a, it's going to be a second year in the league. I mean. So it's basically, I think it's basically equates to two second rounders. I mean, it's, it's not a bad option, especially because, you know, you are getting a huge, um, you're essentially the idea is you're trading your future in that you would get with Chenault for Julio right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you say, oh, well, this is a great opportunity for Trevor Lawrence to work with a Pro Bowl wide receiver. We don't really have this opportunity the other way unless these guys develop quickly, which, you know, I think Chanel and Chark are very good. I don't know if they're Pro Bowlers is the issue. Um, My only but- problem with that would be from a philosophical standpoint, like you're a team with a new quarterback. 
how likely is it that you aren't like bad next year to some degree, especially because your defense is still pretty bad. So would you be willing to give up? Cause again, let's, let's just assume that the first round pick is actually like on the table. Would you be willing to give up a potential top 10 pick for Julio Jones at this point? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's the tough part is it's, uh, you know, are you, that's really tough. I mean, I don't know. I think, I mean, I know I wouldn't personally. Yeah, probably not. I think that's a tough thing to ask, especially when you're giving up the extra draft capital when you should probably just focus on developing your young players. So I'd agree. I think it's just an interesting one because they have a ton of offensive talent that, you know, as, as good as Chanel looked his rookie year, you don't necessarily need him. Um, so that could be that, an option, I think. And, and that's the other thing I think with the Julio Jones thing and kind of some other, especially as we talk about the Aaron Rodgers thing, it's these trades really have to be made with teams who feel like they're one that thing away. Like I think Tennessee makes a lot of sense because from a like team standpoint, they're kind of a receiver away from being like a Super Bowl contender. Right. And especially if you're getting a player as upside as Julio Jones. But a team like Jacksonville is so far away. Baltimore makes sense in the sense that I think their wide receiver core needs a lot of improvement. But I also think that they're a team similar to Tennessee that doesn't that excludes needing wide receiver help. Um, right. And then New England makes a lot of sense. But again, I think you talked about the draft capital. I don't know. It may be a similar thing to what we saw with Deshaun Watson in March before all the stuff came out of it may be hard to trade him just because the value Atlanta wants won't be anywhere near worth the value teams are willing to give up for him. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think he is getting traded. I just, I think, like you said, I think it's going to be really hard. I think the problem is, is that the cost and the cap immediately eliminates probably, um, you know, 24, 25 teams. Yeah. So I think that's the tough part. I remember some, and granted, I don't think it was being serious, but I remember some Dallas Cowboys Instagram account posing like Michael Gallup in a third for Julio Jones. And I was like, you know, our cap space would be like negative 20 million if that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So there's just so many teams that as much as they probably want Julio, there's just no way it could happen. And again, it's the tough decision of we can't just like, it's not just like you're picking up a free agent Julio Jones. Cause I think right. if that was happened, Tennessee would easily sign him or Baltimore would easily sign him. But the fact is you're having to trade assets to get a guy who may contribute to your team. Right. And it's a huge risk. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Obviously a lot more developments with this going forward. So uh, yeah. Be interesting to see where he ends up. Uh, going from a current player to a uh, former player. Uh, I think it was today we got news that a uh, uh, longtime kicker for both the Patriots and the Colts, Adam Vinatieri, retired, finally. Uh, not yep. finally. He is, I'd say, definitively one of the, the best kicker of all time, if not really close, just because he has so many legendary kicks and so many iconic kicks, whether you're thinking about the first one with the Super Bowl with the Patriots or some of his famous ones with the Colts. Again, as a Patriots fan, I know you are very fond of him. What are your thoughts on uh, Vinatieri's retirement? 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because obviously, you know, it's weird to compare kickers because it's like there's just no way of comparing kickers across eras because it's kind of like quarterbacks where just the evolution of the position of what we learned about it has changed so much that like, you know, comparing some of these guys from previous years to now is like borderline impossible, right? So it's like, I don't know if he's like the best kicker of all time, but as far as just the ability to you know, hit the most difficult field goals at like the biggest situations. I mean, there's not really anybody who's proven to be better at it. He's hit the biggest kicks. I think, I think without a doubt, I would say that his 2001 um, AFC divisional round game against the Raiders is probably the greatest game a kicker is ever going to have because just the degree of guilt difficulty with that kick, I don't think that's ever being matched, you know? So it's hard to say greatest kicker of all time, but definitely the most clutch and had some of the most historic kicks of all time, including probably what I think is the best kick of all time, which was that 45 yarder in a blizzard to tie the game. And again, you're talking about the kick to win the first Super Bowl of the Patriots, the kick to win that next Super Bowl against the Panthers, his eight or like uh, 14 year career with the Colts where it, it again is the thing with like a great player where you're like, oh, you expect him to hit the big shots when it matters, and you're more surprised when he doesn't hit it. Like, yeah, I mean, Adam Vinatieri is one of the. I th- I think we didn't really appreciate him so much because, again, kickers weren't really considered as important as they were until the generation after him, but like. You talk about the the current best kickers, whether you're thinking of like Justin Tucker or I know Harrison Butker has been really considered now, but, you know, for all the amazing shots of Adam Vinatieri's had over the years, he has so many like NFL films, like classic moments throughout his career. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you one thing. He's definitely appreciated in New England. You know, he's a hero there, so it's still a huge deal there. And yeah, I mean, I think statistically Tucker's actually like the best of all time technically, but. Well, I know know. technically at one point, Dan Bailey was the best kicker of all time. And then he, (laughs) again, I think this is why Vinatieri so great is, you know, Dan Bailey was so great for so long and then hit a cliff at some point and became bad. Yeah. Vinatieri was legitimately good for 20 Two twenty-three years. It, it wasn't really until his final year that he became a bad kicker. Mm-hmm. So I think you look at that and you say, yeah, he's got to be considered at least up in that echelon of greatness just because of what he's done for so long. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think he's definitely in the conversation. So kicker is just one of those positions, I think, where everything's evolving. And, you know, I think 10 years from now, we're going to see a kicker that's probably what we consider the best kicker of all time because they're just automatic and you know the way that kickers are working out more nowadays and everything the position's really changing but he was definitely ahead of the game because he had obviously you know we remember a lot of him in these end of the colt years where you know a 45 yarder was a little bit out of his range but not only was he incredibly accurate especially in the big moments he had a huge leg that he was able to go out to like 58 59 yards and that's kicking in really tough conditions in uh, Foxborough too. That's not one of the easier places to kick in. Obviously, once he got into Indianapolis, it was a lot easier playing in the dome, but he's hit some big field goals and probably the toughest situations kickers have been in. 
I also have to appreciate him for not doing these, like, you know, a lot of people will do the whole social media thing and, you know, make a really big deal out of their retirement. I really appreciate that he just went on his friend's podcast and just said that he was retiring. I felt like, because I think we all knew by the end of last year that he was going to be gone, but it's like, it's still shocking to think that Adam Vinatieri, this guy who's been in the league longer than I've been alive, is going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been uh, really funny if he did a whole retirement tour year. Where it would have been. Well, it would have been. Cheater thing. Well, I, I imagine it like the Kobe tour where it's like Kobe has some really good moments, but also some really bad games. But then the end game is the final game is just so good that no one forgets that everyone forgets just the terrible games. Like week 18 this year, he's on like, he gets signed by like the Jaguars as like a token final year thing. And he hits a 65 yarder. Yeah. 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 Week 18, they're just stopping at the 30 yard line every drive to kick. So he gets like eight field goal attempts. (laughs) Honestly. And, and I remember when the Kobe tour was happening and I mean, as a Celtics fan, I was happy because those Lakers teams were awful, but um, I just remembered that, Kobe, it literally was just like make Kobe look good rather than win games sometimes. Oh, it completely was. Yeah. yeah. And and granted, I think baseball is a little different because you can make someone like have this player shining thing without necessarily affecting the teams overall. But I mean, I think the the only really good like retirement tour has been Big Poppies because he just hit really well that year. But, like, you look at, like, these retirement tours, especially in basketball, and they've all been either they're so bad or they're so old that it's almost like they're just role players at that point. Like, I remember Dirk's retirement tour and being like, oh, I feel bad. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the one that the poppy one's really the exception, not the rule, because he was he was really good that year. People didn't want him to retire by the end of it. No, because I, <laughs> I think. I got to look this up because I think he hit over 300 that year. He was an all-star. In fact, I think he may have been like, you know how every year there's like those guys and like the, who get like two MVP votes who are just like random. I think he may have been one of those guys. Just <laughs> Yeah. He finished sixth in MVP. He oh, hit sixth. Three, wow. Yeah. He fit, hit 315. He had an on-base percentage that was 401. His slugging percentage was 620. His OPS was 1021, which led the league. He had uh 38 home runs 127 rbis and a league leading 48 doubles so yeah he was fantastic yeah i mean it's the same thing i talked about with the drew Brees. in it's it's you never rare you ever you very rarely get your final game to be something special and again it's like drew Brees had the three interceptions in his final game ever as a saint and you know obviously at least Vinatieri made the playoffs his final year, but he definitely wasn't part of the reason they won that year. But yeah, I mean, it's sad to see him go. And I well, guess he that's was cut by the end of the year, right? Because Blankenship was playing. I don't think he was cut. I think he was, wasn't he injured? I don't know. I know Blankenship played the majority of the year. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know. Thanks, Adam Vinatieri, for the three Super Bowls. I really appreciate it. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there, I don't think there's. You you talk about the one in uh, the one against the Raiders, 
I don't think there's ever a more iconic shot of those Patriots dynasties than whoever the holder for the Patriots was hugging Adam Vinatieri after that kick against the Rams. Yeah. So uh, that was an incredible game and an incredible run. And he's, you know, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest heroes of a part of it. So totally. So congratulations to him. Congrats on the retirement. And now he can do whatever he wants, which is honestly the best thing in the world. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's fun. We're now in OTAs with the NFL, which just means I keep seeing those photos of Tim Tebow working out in his super muscles. Have you seen those? Uh, I've seen Tim Tebow working out. I haven't seen the super muscles. It's it's essentially it was a shot of him like in practice catching the ball, and it looks like you know those things where like people will edit their photos to look like they're bigger than they are. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like that. He he looks like he looks like someone who's like been a bodybuilder his whole life and then just decided to play the NFL. Like I don't know if it's sustainable, but you know, I'm excited to see Tim Tebow at least play a game, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see cuz I mean, I don't think, you know, he's going to make a roster, but you know, we've certainly seen weird guys get, you know, I think Trey Burton said this as uh other tight end from Florida who was also a former quarterback. Um, you know, we've seen weird and different players get opportunities in the league. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the Texans tried out Justin Gatlin at a trading camp and he was a hundred meter dash runner, you know? So, and I don't think he played any football yeah. before that. So well, this, just, o- this off season has been the off season of figuring out who can play tight end. Cause we had Tim Tebow. We've had Kelvin Benjamin. We had that like, I think it was a British basketball guy who signed with the Redskins or the football team. Uh, I'm trying to, we've had like three or four tight ends who normally would never make the NFL. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think I honestly attributed to the, to the bucks this year. Like they've, and, and the Patriots obviously before them, but they've learned that just having a bunch of tight ends just makes you better somehow. Yeah. I mean, tight ends have become the vogue position of the NFL, so I definitely think it's, you know, we're, we're seeing it in, in trend. Oh, by the way, it was 2006 that uh, Gatlin worked out with the Houston Texans. So um, but yeah. A little while ago, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's stuff like that all the time where we're getting track stars playing wide receivers. We're getting, um, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's definitely not anything that's weird. Tight ends a vogue position, and – we want great athletes at the tight end position. That's definitely been, been the trend. So we've seen teams begin to replicate that and try and do it in different ways because, listen, a, a lot of the best tight ends of the last, you know, 20 years, there's a good handful of them that were basketball players. They weren't football. I mean, they played some football, but they were primarily basketball players who ended up in the NFL with guys like Antonio Gates and Jimmy Graham. Well, so Jimmy Graham actually played, right? I thought I he Jimmy played. Yeah. Yeah, he, he played did. at Miami, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there are examples, though, of these guys then switching positions and switching sports. Now, I think Tebow's a little past his prime that I don't think it's going to work. But, you know, you never know at the end of the day. And, again, I think it's that similar to Kelvin Benjamin, who even he, I expect, to not make the Giants. Uh, it's that thing of they're not going to hurt anyone. It's not like you're putting, like, Riley Cooper or some of these, like, notable bad characters into the NFL again. These are guys who are 
theoretically good people getting tryouts with teams and obviously the names like Tebow and, and uh, why am I blanking on his name? No, I just said it five seconds ago. Uh, the, anyway, th- those names, those, they, they, they get the attention, but it's just like whenever a undrafted free agent gets signed, it's not a big deal. Did you, did you see my favorite comeback attempt today? I did not. Brandon Jacobs is serious about an NFL comeback as a defensive end. <laughs> Are we talking about the same Brandon Jacobs? The Giants running back, yeah. <laughs> Hasn't he been out of the NFL for like a decade? He was a 31-year-old running back in 2013 for the New York Giants. <laughs> okay. I would give so much money to see him play like as a defensive end in a game. Like, even yeah. more than, like, obviously, I think the novelty of Tebow at tight end, I think, will be something. And, you know, seeing some of these other players play at weird positions will be fine. But to see Brandon Jacobs, who I remember, like, being okay at running back, to see him play it. Years. He was fine from, like, 07 to, like, 11, probably, during their run. Yeah. But to see him play at defensive end, a position I'm a thousand percent right he can't play. Yeah. He is nowhere near as big. Like, imagine him against like Ronnie Staley. Yeah. I don't I mean, I think he's got no chance, but that'd be really funny to see, especially, you know, he's almost 40 years old. There's no way. Again, though, I'd love to see like even put him in like I know we don't have the equivalency, but like if if you could make the like AAF again or like the the XFL when it comes back, whenever it comes back, put him at defensive end. I just love to see that. Yeah, no, I'd be all for it. It's uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh happen. But yeah, yeah. honestly, I've I've always thought that the NFL should do something where it's like a seven on seven league made up of I don't know people ten years out of the NFL. So like the uh, what's the basketball one the the essentially like the the uh, TBT or the, the the tournament the big three one too. yeah the big three but like imagine if like because we've heard we've heard those things of like Michael Jordan can still play or Peyton Manning can still throw imagine if in five years or so Peyton Manning and like Calvin Johnson are playing a game that'd be really funny it'd be really um, fun. So, and I mean, yeah, you I mean, make it, you make it seven on seven. So no one can get really hurt though. We did, though. We did have that one player at a yeah. seven on seven game get hurt, but yeah. 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 So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And the Tebow thing, we'll see what happens with that, but uh, stay tuned for Eddie Lacy's comeback attempt as a uh, offensive guard here coming up. Oh my gosh. I, I would, I would love to see Eddie Lacy, even if it's just for the joke to be back in pads. (laughs) Yeah. Like one of my, you know, Jared Lorenzen before he died, I remember him going around and jokingly like throwing the football, like he could play again. I would have loved it if the giants for like a snap in a preseason game, allowed Jared Lorenzen to snap it again back in his like 600 pound days. So that's, Yeah. yeah, that's our NFL news of the week. Uh, some interesting stuff, and I think 
obviously as we get closer to training camp, I think we'll get some more definitive news on some of the like Julio Jones talks. I'm still waiting for Richard Sherman to sign. Cause I think he's going to be a very impact signing right now. Um, but yeah, we'll see going forward. Uh, do you want to go play in or do you want to go MLB right now? Uh, we can go MLB. So I got to ask a question and it's something we've, my family and the people I know have discussed for a while. Are you a fan of unwritten rules? Uh, not re- I mean, I'm indifferent about them. Like, cause I, I cannot stand them. I, I, obviously this has been brought up by the White Sox scandal scandal, but it's like, I am not a fan of any like unwritten rules or like things where it's like, we're just finding people for having fun. Yeah, I mean, I just, I think, you know, people getting bent up out of shape about it are a little ridiculous. That's for well, sure. Yeah, so obviously, if you don't know what we're talking about, there was a White Sox rookie. Uh, we're playing, I believe, the Twins. Um, yes. So they were playing the Twins. Uh, they were leading by a lot, and the Twins had a position player on the mound. There's yeah. a 3-0 count. Uh, the Twins player throws a 47-mile-per-hour fastball, and the guy hits it for a home run. And after the game, the White Sox, which is the the interesting part of the story, I thought is it's not like the Twins manager calling it out. It's his own manager calling him out and essentially said, this is unacceptable. He will be like punished for it. And just, yeah, saying like it's unacceptable, which is, I don't know. I feel like if you were coached by a guy, I would at very least like him to like understand why you did it. Well, well, this happened last year, too, when the uh, Fernando Tatis one happened last year. Um, it was a uh, his own coach said something first because he was like, oh, yeah, that's not really what we do. And then everyone jumped on him and then he kind of backtracked on it. And then, you know, Tony LaRusso is a hundred year old manager, basically coming out now trying to manage this White Sox team. And he is definitely from an era where that's, you know not acceptable. And the next guy would have been hit in the eye back when he, you know, played. And so he thinks that that's still the the normal thing to do is that to react that way towards a home run where, you know, there's a lot of different things that could have been, you know, prevented to prevent that kind of home run from happening. So I don't know if the, if the pitch is in the strike zone, it's fair game for me. That's what I say. Well, that's my thing. And, you know, I say, I say the same thing about like football, like if you're up by so much and you run the ball, and you run it for 80 yards with your back with your backups in. It's not your fault. The other guys need to tackle. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I, I am of the clear opinion that if you are like, you need to keep playing the game as much as we'd like to like, and like if if you are deciding that it is not okay for a position player to throw a ball that could easily be hit a home run in a three O like in those scenarios, then make a rule, a like written rule that allows the game to end. Cause I'm not sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, again, it's the thing of why are we taxing the player for doing something that benefits him? Cause he gets a home run. And in that home run will in theory benefit him down the line. Yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing too, is, uh, you know, if we're, if we're going to have unwritten rules in baseball, then don't put contract incentives for home run totals and, you know, RBI totals and um, contracts, because if it's unfair, then that the guy's trying to get a home run when his playing time, then 
then don't count it. You know, don't put in contract incentives in there that force guys to want to hit home runs when they're at the plate, you know, make it as least competitive and fun as possible at that point. So I just think it's all ridiculous. And I think anybody complaining about it is just being over the top. And again, it's the thing of like, I would be think differently of it. If it was the twins manager saying something of it, I'd probably just think he was like salty or something like that. But the fact that it's his own manager and he's taking this very like this is unacceptable stance. Like this is your own guy. Like at the very least, you should be like, "Yeah, he's a rookie. He messed up. So what?" Kind of thing. Like yeah. the best part about this has been Tony Larusa fighting with basically all of his own players because everybody else backed him up except for his own coach. Yeah, I mean, I know you're not a big fan of Tony Larusa in general. I'm not. Uh, which. I think he's done a good job of as a manager manager, like in just leading the team to being the best team in that division. But yeah, I mean, I think again, old fashioned managers, I feel like need to understand that the time, this is not the 1980s. Yeah. We live and in, you know, that we live in that- an era of showboating and having fun. And just because you do something that, 20 years ago would have been considered disrespectful. That doesn't mean it's either disrespectful now, or at the very least something you could harass a kid, like a a hitter for doing. If anything, the pitcher should be ridiculed for throwing a 47 mile per hour fastball. Well, I mean, it was a position player, so it's a tough situation. Um, So, I, I mean, I guess that's the argument that he was trying to make is that a position guy's out there just trying to finish out the game. But if that's the case, tell your guys to go up there and swing and miss purposely three times in a row. If that's actually the case, tell them to go and do that if you feel like it's disrespectful. Because I don't I don't know what the solution is. You're just supposed to stand there with the bat in your shoulders uh, no matter what. I think it's a ridiculous concept to have. Well, and, it, and it's again, it's the thing of if it's 3-0, it's unacceptable. But if it's 3-1, then hit a home run, baby. Like... Yeah, yeah. So it's, he got a pitch to hit, and he took advantage of it. Good for him. True. So I'm all for that, and uh, I'm glad that the White Sox are still leading that division because I think they're the only team that's good in that division. I still don't like the Indians that much, uh, personally. Uh, and yeah, but I I think you know last time we talked, the Red Sox were leading the AL. Now the Rays are back, baby, and. Uh, they are, they've been killing it. Like the nine of their last 10, uh, they're really doing really well on the road. Yeah. I mean, you got, I mean, even after trading Snell, they seem to be doing just as well going into this season. Yeah. So they've taken advantage of the Red Sox have kind of cooled off a little because weirdly they can't win at home, which is just doesn't make sense to me, but you know, I think that they're doing a good job of hitting the ball, putting balls in plays and making things happen. And they also, once again, it's just a typical race thing to do is that they go out there and find these pitchers who just managed to be really good pitchers. Like, you know, Rich Hill looked like he was a dying corpse of a baseball player, like just t- two years ago. And all of a sudden he's back pitching some pretty good innings for this team and looking like the old Rich Hill. So it's just like, it, you know, they just keep finding these guys and it works out. And, you know, they got a really good lineup. Now they've already even the Red Sox with runs scored. They got guys like a Rosarena, who was obviously incredible in the World Series last year. They've got guys like I think Joey Wendell's hitting out of his mind. 
Um, and they've got guys like Austin Meadows who, you know, he's going to hit 220, but he's going to hit a bunch of home runs. You know, there's just guys up and down this lineup that are really good. And, you know, this was a team where we're thinking, oh, are they going to bring up the number one prospect in baseball or are they going to wait? And they decided to wait on it. And they're still playing pretty well because they have that lineup. They have who I think is probably the AL Cy Young right now. And they got one of the best closers in baseball in Diego Castillo too. So the Rays weren't going anywhere. They're still a really good baseball team. Yeah. And I mean, this is the best thing going forward to the, because even if they don't again, reach the world series or don't have the same playoff run as they last year, like consistency has always been the thing for me with the Rays. And I think their best stretch has been that like 2007 to 2009, where they obviously made the world series, but in that they consistently were making the postseason. If they make the postseason again, this race team has the chance to one up that and possibly do just as well. Yeah, they're always building a good team. So I think the one, and you know, they have moves up their sleeves too, because they got some players that they can move around if they want to bring some guys up and go that route. I think the one move that they really could make that makes them really dangerous is. Um, bringing up Wander Franco, like I was saying, he's the number one prospect in baseball. He's a stud of a shortstop that can hit too. Their current shortstop, who's, you know, pretty good is Willie Adamas, but Willie Adamas right now has a 197 ERA, 254 on base percentage. And maybe they feel like either giving him some competition or, you know, bringing up Franco is the way that can move this team into a contender status. Um, you know, I think that's definitely a possibility that Frank goes up there sooner rather than later and makes us a pretty, you know, a dangerous team because I still think there's some good teams in the American League. I think the A's are still dangerous. I still think the White Sox are dangerous. You know, they might have the most talented team despite, you know, how I feel about their manager, like you said. And then, you know, the Red Sox have that murderous row of guys two through seven in the lineup can all, you know, hit the ball and hit the ball hard. So that's still a dangerous team to deal with too. Yeah, as long as they stop hitting uh, 3-0 uh, balls, I think they'll be good. Uh, you know, the Red Sox to me are very interesting. This next stretch of the season will probably be the biggest determinant to how the Red Sox will be this year because I think we've finally gotten over that, like, beginning season, like, where, like how is this team this good? If they can get back to that, like, <coughs> 7 of 10, 8 of 12, like like stretch i think they could possibly be in for the long run but if they continue this like barely over 500 over 10 or 12 games i think then we'll start to see the team lose standings to the rays and the the yankees because that division is really close and whoever it's probably going to be down to whoever's hottest at the end of the season but yeah i mean the red sox this is the time that the red sox prove they're an actual playoff team versus just as we see a lot of years with other teams, that team that's really good over April and May and then struggles in June, July, and August. Yeah. I mean, I still think they're going to be in position. They're going to compete with these top two teams in the AL East. And I think they're in a good spot. Um, plus they get Chris sale back. So I think that's going to be a big thing too. Uh, their rotations actually holding up better than I anticipated. Nick Pavetta is six and oh, which is crazy to see um, his ERA is a little high, but he's still doing pretty well. Evaldi, you know, after a few good starts is struggling a little bit. Garrett Richards though has really come on to make up for it. So they got two or three competitive pitchers in their rotation. Chris Sale comes back. That's pretty much like a, another addition to this team, which really helps. 
So I still think they're in a position to be pretty competitive. It'll be interesting to see how they keep this going and maybe do they try and add another bat or something to this lineup. Yeah, I'm debating whether the best thing for them would be a batter or a reliever at this point because I think their relieving pitching has been pretty good so far, but I still think going into the playoffs, they still need another piece. But, I mean, at this point, I think it's you kind of got to see what comes to you because when you're 30 and 20, I think you got to see what, what happens the next stretch of the season. Yeah, I mean, they, they have no lefties in their bullpen. They got a couple good righties in the bullpen that have actually pitched really well in Garrett Whitlock, who might be the steal of the offseason. And um, what's the other guy's name? Matt Barnes has obviously done really well this year. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple guys in the bullpen that have been really good, but the, the lefties in the bullpen really haven't performed. Um, so those are guys that they're going to have to replace and improve if they want to make a World Series run too. But I still think that this team could use another bat, whether it's a guy like Joey Gallo, or whether they try and shake things up in the infield and add a Trevor story and move guys around. You know, I think there's a few options to make. It just depends on how many prospects are they willing to part with? And, um, you know, is it going to be enough to get one of those guys? What's so interesting to me about the AL this year is that it's so bad. No, no, no. Well, yes, but I don't want to say like top heavy. I want to just say like, there's a clear divide between the top teams in the, in the division and the bottom teams. Like you talk about the AL with the Rays, Red Sox and Yankees. There's a clear divide to me between the White Sox and Indians and everyone else in the central. And then even though the Astros have a good record, I'd even say the athletics are so far ahead of them. And then the Mariners, the angels. And they're like, the fact that the Rangers have a good record, I just think shows how bad the other teams are. Cause in it, in a normal year, they'd probably be a few games worse, but they're just beating up on teams that no one expects them to. Because they, I think they just swept the Astros. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think so. So, I mean, I still think that there's a pretty good clear list of the A's, the White Sox, and those three AL East teams are the contenders. And maybe Cleveland or Toronto sneaks in there, but overall, I don't think so. Um, but... I, I still stand by what I, I think I said it earlier is I don't really think there's a great team in the American league right now. I don't think there isn't. I think there's a lot of flaws with the rod with these teams. And, you know, I would bet on teams like the Padres, the Dodgers, and, you know, I'd even look at the Cardinals as being better teams overall and being more equipped to win world series. Well, and especially if you're talking about like playoff bound, unless there's a huge trade, I can't imagine any of these teams being in like pure playoff mode. Like yeah. I think like you're talking about the best teams, whether it's the athletics, the Red Sox, the Rays, the Yankees, the White Sox, and they're all really built for this regular season. I'd love to see how they face in the playoffs as they are. Cause I think all of them would really dip to a degree. Maybe the Yankees would probably be, the the ones least likely to dip but yeah i think all of them have you know good depth but have a lot of issues in their starting rotation and lineup i'd agree with that so it'll be interesting to see what happens with those teams going forward yeah meanwhile if you're looking at the nl man i feel like we talked about this with the cubs back in like 2015 2016 when they were starting to like rack up wins but feel like we're finally getting the Padres past their like tanking years. Like we're finally getting to this Padres team that's built to just win. Cause 
man, they look impressive this year, even more than last year. They just look so good. Yeah, I mean, they were incredible. They were a really good baseball team last year. And, I mean, the only issue is that they ran into the Dodgers like everybody else did. Even compared to some of the other teams in the NL, who I thought have been really good, and you could really point to those top three teams in the NL West as the best teams in the entire baseball right now. I thought the Padres have put themselves at another level right now. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, is that they're not really even getting their best out of Blake Snell right now. Uh, Musgrove and you Darvish have been terrific. Darvish looks like he's a Cy Young candidate. Once again, uh, Chris Paddock's bounced back and is putting a good, putting together a pretty good season. And Ryan Weathers is putting together a solid stint in six starts. So they have these guys who are pitching really well. And then you have Snell, who I think people thought is the number one or number two guy, potentially uh, wherever you are with Darvish. Uh, and he's not even pitching that well. So there's a chance that this team can get even better if Snell turns it around, which I think he will. And, um, I mean, look, Fernando Tatis is just terrific. I mean, he is such a good baseball player. I love everything about his game. Um, 303 adding average, 380 OBP, uh, 689 slugging, 106.9 OPS. I bet on him to win most valuable player and – I mean, we'll see if that ends up happening, but he has been terrific. He's been one of their best players, along with Jake Cronenworth, who's been awesome. So it's been a really fun team to watch. I'm a huge fan of this Padres team. They're definitely He's definitely playing like the face of baseball, whether it's like he becomes that face this year or going forward. But again, I think we talked about this with the AL teams, but, you know, these the Padres and especially even some of these other teams like the Cardinals and the – the Giants, the Dodgers, they feel like they're built for the postseason rather than necessarily the regular season. So you talk about this Padres team, and if you can get Snell back to form by the postseason, you're talking about having to face up against like guys like Snell, Darvish, uh, and the rest of their rotation, and then you know their, their batting lineup in a best-of-seven series sounds ridiculous. Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, I think it does. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here and how these teams adjust. And I mean, I feel like it's two teams that right now look like the two best teams in baseball, two teams that I kind of thought, and uh, they're going to have to play each other in the NLCS potentially, or even sooner. I mean, we'll see. I mean, the giants right now, I think have the tiebreaker though, which is crazy. Uh, Well, right now the Padres are in first and then the Dodgers. I mean, a giants over the Dodgers, I should say. Well, all three of them would make the playoffs with that extra playoff spot, I believe. True. If they're still doing that. Um, I mean, we know it's not coming from the NL East. <laughs> they're, aside from the Mets, they're hot, hot garbage. Yeah. I do have to say, though, I did my preseason predictions, and I didn't go too controversial with a lot of them, but um, outside of the Twins making the World Series, it seems like now. Um, what? Um, and with that, I've had, uh, let's see. AL MVP, Mike Trout, looks pretty good, once again. Although Byron Buxton and Vlad Guerrero Jr. are certainly making it interesting. Um, NL MVP, Fernando Tatis is looking pretty good. I don't know if he'll win it, but he'll certainly be in the conversation. AL Cy Young, Tyler Glasnow, been terrific for Tampa Bay, probably the favorite. NL Cy Young, if he can get healthy here quickly, Jake DeGrom. And then World Series winner, I had Dodgers over Twins, so Twins are looking like the bad one. Everything else is looking pretty good still, so... Props to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I had Dodgers over – I think I had Astros. 
either Astros or Yankees. Neither at this point are out of it, though I do want to see, because I think the Astros have definitely put themselves in that like conversation of fringe playoff rather than like playoff going possibly for a long playoff run. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the NL, to me at least it's a three-way race right now between the Padres, Dodgers, and Cardinals, though the Giants and the Cubs can both make themselves look good. I want to see what this Mets team does when they're fully healthy because I still think they can not necessarily contend with the Padres or uh, those top teams right now, but they're still, they have all these pieces together. And I think, I think they're the epitome of like the Seahawks. We talk about them in the NFL where the Seahawks are really good at one thing. And then later in the season, they're bad at that, but good at something else. Like I want to see if this Mets team can put it all together in one stretch. Cause I think they have as much talent probably as some of these other teams. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think that they're capable of winning the World Series. It all just comes down to, you know, can the bullpen get it done in the postseason and can they win those games when it matters the most? So it's going to be interesting to see. But I definitely think that they're a contender. I mean, if you had to guess right now, I would say – I'd say Padres – I'm going to go Padres-White Sox. I think the White Sox have – are probably going to benefit from some of those and ALE teams canceling each other out. So I'd go Padres White Sox. Um, right now, um, I'll go rematch. I'll go Dodgers Rays. Um, I'm sticking with the Dodgers just because they're the team I picked and I still think they're terrific. Um, and I think that the one thing is that despite how talented I think the White Sox are, I think that if you're going to see issues with managerial decisions, it's more in the playoffs more so than anything else. So I think that that might be where Larusa becomes a disadvantage for the Bucks and a team like the Rays who have been there before have Kevin Cash, who's good. Um, I think the Rays could take advantage. And of course there's the magical pitching selves in the playoffs, which Rays and Dodgers still seem like they're the best at that right now. Yeah. I mean, if you got Tyler Glass now and um, you know, Trevor Bauer and that whole, Mm-hmm. staff for the Padres. I mean, you're always going to have it be in the conversation. It's it's definitely an interesting conversation, but you know, I think that's the the Dodgers are the team I think I don't know if they've actually disappointed or just the expectations were so high that anything less than perfect would have been disappointing, but I definitely think they're a team that in the next half of the season needs to figure out how to put themselves above the Padres cuz I think outside of like diehard Dodgers fans or people who are just trying to find answers from last year, I think people would definitely say the Padres have leapfrogged them in terms of talent this year. Well, they started off at an insane pace. I think they were like 13 and two at one point. Um, Yeah. 13 and two to start the season. Then they went on a huge like dip in form where it dropped to 18 and 17. So they were five and 15 and at one stretch and then they bounced back again to win. 12 of their last 14 so they've been 13 and 2 5 and 15 and 12 and 2 over different stretches so i mean they've had stretches where they look like the team that we've expected to be absolutely dominant and i think that they can be and then they've had stretches where they've looked like a team that is just underperforming so we'll see what happens yes we will uh so we're gonna head out but before we do i'd like to acknowledge that we both were really bad at picking the playing games, at least in terms of the eight, nine games. 
we obviously predicted the West lead-in games for that, but I think we both predicted like handably that the Warriors and Pacers would win those playing games, and well, were we wrong? We were yeah. just yeah. I mean, I mean, the beauty of this tournament and beauty of having this um, one-off game and these winner-take-all sort of tournament style is, is a lot like March Madness. Anything can happen, and even more like even less so like March Madness is these two teams, despite you know they're being like favorites in our book are still pretty evenly matched compared to when you look at like March madness upsets. So, you know, we were picking the warriors to win and I don't think it was an unconventional pick. You know, they were the favorites going into the game, but it's just a game where, you know, there are two teams that are still pretty closely matched and have a lot of talented players. And it just comes down to, um, you know, who's going to come out on top. And uh, I mean, John Morant's hitting a different level right now. He's definitely making a leap before our eyes and looking like a playoff star. Um, he was really good again, even in a losing effort against the Jazz. So, I mean, that's not something we really saw coming because he was, you know, he was good this season, but he wasn't this. And then, you know, you talk about that Wizards-Pacers game, and that was probably the best execution of what the Wizards have had this season, in my opinion, just – Beal playing really good and Westbrook playing really good. And I think we both talked about the center position being something that they would be surprised that they would be able to handle, but they handled it a lot better against the Pacers than they did against the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, the wizards are just like, they're kind of like that Jekyll and Hyde team this year. Um, I mean, I think they're going to get swept because they just don't have the number bodies to match Philadelphia, mm -hmm. but they're definitely a team where you see them on the right night and those two stars are playing are, incredibly dangerous so you know it's an interesting team no no doubt yeah and especially when you consider like the Pacers still had Levert injured or something like that who, who was injured in the Wizards game I think Levert and TJ Warren were still out weren't they yeah so I think when you have those guys out and you can you know Beal can get back into a rhythm you know I mean at this point I feel like you've got to say to them it's it's good to just get there because they know they're not as good as the Nets. Or they got to believe, at least, they're not as good as the Nets. Yeah. I or mean, the 76ers, I should say, the team that actually they're playing. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's just interesting. We'll see what happens with the Pacers. They need to get healthy and uh, regroup a little bit. So, Yeah. I mean, I don't think any – I mean, the only thing I'd say that I'm really shocked by is how Dallas has played so far. But otherwise, I feel like everything's gone either to standard or close to standard, though. Again, Milwaukee's another one where I thought that Miami would make it a lot closer so far. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing was is that I think picking Miami was just based off of last year's. I don't think anything about Miami actually this year said that they can, they, you know, they were playing in so many minutes out of, you know, Trevor Ariza, Ariza and Andre Iguodala, which just isn't a recipe for success anymore. You know, maybe like five years ago, that would have been a really good wing duo, but just not now. And they just don't have the bodies to match Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a really good team. Milwaukee's going to be really competitive. I don't know if they'll beat Brooklyn, but they're sure going to give them hell. And I think the one thing that they have for Brooklyn that uh, Philadelphia doesn't necessarily is they have the bodies that can kind of match them. Um, I don't know if they'll win the series, but, you know, you could realistically see a scenario with, uh, you know, Holiday on Kyrie, Chris Middleton on Harden, Giannis and KD, that they have the bodies to match. It'll be a fun series. And 
I mean, at the rate we're looking, it's going to be very early. It's probably going to be four of sweeps from both of their first round series. So we'll see how those go. Uh, but we will more talk about that next week when we discuss the second round, the recap, the first round playoff matches and discuss the second round playoff matches. Again, this is the draft or sorry. Blah. Again, this is the sports break podcast. My name is Jackson King and I'm Kyle Grodman. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks and gig em. Peace. <laughs>